Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. Hi, friends. Welcome to another great episode of the podcast. My guest today is the founder of Mrs. Keepa, a fashion label based in Dubai that was launched in 2016. She started out as an influencer who attracted tens of thousands of followers thanks to her unique sense of style. And it has since become one of the most talked about labels at Dubai Fashion Week. Please welcome to the show the woman behind Mrs. Keepa, Miriam Yaya. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Nadia. Long time. Yes, it's nice to have you. It has been a long time. Um, I just want to start off by saying, Miriam, that you are one of the most stylish people I know or have ever seen. I'm sure you get this all the time, but you really epitomize killer style. And I'm not talking about like fashion or being trendy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. And just, just to give people an idea of what I'm talking about, I was watching today a video, um, a Harper's Bazaar video of you where you were on a shopping trip at the mall and you were wearing a loose men's football jersey as a dress that says Keepa on the back. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. Is that your husband? They asked me to change. They asked me to change while we start, when we started shooting. And I said, no, I'm sorry. It's like, but the client will not be happy for you to be wearing an oversized T-shirt. You need to be more sophisticated as like, you guys chose me for a reason. And I think it's my style and what I stand for and my fashion. So I find it super weird to ask me to change the way I dress because someone else expects to see me in a different way. So I'm really sorry. That's one of the things I'd never be flexible about. It's like, okay, but you can go to your shop because we were basically shooting in the mall where Mrs. Kippa shop is. I was like, but you can go and wear something else from your brand. And I was like, I felt very offended. It's like my style represents who I am. I always talk about dressing up is not, about fashion it's about communicating who you are it's, it's a big statement for someone to ask you change the way you dress you know and I was like no I'm not changing <laughs> and I'm, yeah it's my husband's by the way good job I'm glad you did it because it <laughs> looked great and then it had like uh, shoulder pads and you were wearing it with these over-the-knee plaid boots um, and your nails were painted like in a rainbow of pastel colors you looked amazing and so cool I, I don't know what they were talking about clearly <laughs> they're just like you know, old school, but, um, yeah, just people like to play it safe in our part of the world, you know? Yeah. Well, clearly your strategy is winning and that's the reason they came to you. So they should just, you know, follow your lead. You're the fashion expert as far as I know. Um, but you also always wear like these crazy glasses. You have the most incredible glasses all, all the time. Like, see, do you really wear glasses by the way? Yeah. And I can't see without them. Yeah. Some of them look pretty thick. I like oversized everything. I like I like either small silhouettes or big silhouettes. I don't like any average size, anything. So when I had to wear glasses at the beginning, I was like, I, I felt very irritated to have something on my face. And I was like, okay, since I'm stuck with it, then let's make it part of my uh, style DNA. And it started at the beginning with a boring pair and I felt it was like, no, it's only irritating me without having to say anything about me. So I started to explore vintage pieces and then I started to, especially that's the eyewear, you can't find interesting ones for reading. You'd only find interesting pairs for the sunglasses pair. So do you, do you know who you remind me of? You're, do you know Iris Affel? 
Of course. <laughs> She's an American fashion icon. She also wears funky glasses and tons of accessories. You're like a younger, She's, co- cooler she's one version. of my idols. She's like 98 now. So, but um, you're, you're definitely, she coined this phrase, more is more and less is a bore, which kind of, I think, represents 100%. you. I really discovered her late and I was watching some YouTube videos about her and I was very interested by seeing her house because it's really goes along with her style which is no rules it doesn't have to be mixed you find like many dolls and many uh, um, Walt Disney characters and it's about just layering stuff that her eyes find interesting yeah your studio it does look a little bit um, also um, it's very creative I noticed for example it's that eclectic yeah. eclectic some you, you have like different kinds of very uh, pr- like strong print wallpapers and then you won't, you didn't necessarily stop it at the corner you let it turn the corner and then continue it where the door starts right it's really interesting because when I first did the interior for the atelier I'm not good with interiors so my husband who's my partner he told me uh, okay we took this space la 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 it's a showroom and we did it in a very safe way which is white space big chandelier especially that the Mrs. Kippa clothes are very colorful a lot of prints so you would need a very uh, toned down area to have the close talk. Month, two months, three months, first collection, second collection, I felt something was wrong about the atelier. I wasn't inspired. I told him, I know it's beautiful. I know we get complimented a lot for how glamorous it is, but it doesn't represent who I am. It just doesn't speak the language of the brand. It's like, okay, how do you want it? It's like, I'm very bad with interiors. So we need to get someone. It's like, yeah, but we don't have a budget for that. So it took me like literally a year where I felt comfortable to go a bit crazy with wallpapers. Like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go get stuff exactly the way I dress up. I know it's going to be a challenge, but it's like my closet. I have everything from prints. I just keep on layering till I feel comfortable with what I'm wearing. So I did the same. I started shopping for wallpapers and started putting them together. He's like, oh, it's too chaotic. I said, yes. And I'm going to reach there. It's like when we first did it, but I'm not seeing you reaching there. I said, when I start styling the clothes in the atelier, it's where it's going to look good. So layering is a really risky thing because it takes literally a wrong detail and a wrong place where it all looks very chaotic and uncomfortable to the eye. But I was so happy to reach this result at the end and I am now so into interior and I'm doing my house. <laughs> well, now that we've established that you have a unique and very powerful, I would say, vision, creative vision. Let's talk about fashion, uh, which is something different. I love style and fashion. I've loved it ever since I wore a stupid jogging suit to picture day in first grade because I forgot it was picture day. And that's the day I realized, because I was so disappointed in the picture, how important it is for me to dress well. And But if your obsession uh, is a fa- is for, with fashion is like a 10 out of 10, I'm probably a 7. Um, but is it the right time to be talking about like fashion, dressing up, selling fashion when people here in the Middle East and all around the world have lost their jobs, they can't make ends meet, never mind drop $800 on a pair of like camouflage satin pants with oversized pockets, which are my oh, favorite. You're on the website already. <laughs> yeah, those are my favorite from your collection. But totally I mean, ignore the glitch that is happening. Yeah, yeah. but is it, uh, <laughs> is, it, is it a weird time to be selling this kind of product? Very interesting way to put it because it's my answer. I come from a place where fashion is very organic. I don't really like the word fashion. To me, I like to use style more. 
I was brought up in a house, and I talked about it before, that my mom used to make all my clothes. I was at the age of six, and she would be sitting in the dining uh, on the dining table cutting patterns from the Buddha magazine, and it was the most glamorous pieces. And everybody from our neighbor, especially, I was um, um, living in Egypt, and we didn't have a lot of brands, even Zara and H&M didn't exist. So for someone to wear something different to the norm or some like, it was a big thing. And it cost us nothing. So I come from a place where dressing well, being stylish, looking different, doesn't necessarily cost money. So following trends is something that I never, never abide by. For me to talk about it from this perspective where you're saying, is it the time to dress up? Is it the time? It has always been the time since I was a little kid. It comes really organic. I don't pay much time or energy. And this is why the brand speaks the same language as as mine. And you see, I don't know how to put it, but it's timeless pieces. It's just it's for people that are really into it. Other than that, you wouldn't really understand what I'm offering. And honestly, Corona played a very important role because Pre-corona, I started to think the way you're thinking because retail was going down anyways. And people started to talk about, is it the time to really uh, introduce uh, a lot of trends? Is it the time to shop a lot? And everybody was paying it safe, going down with the prices. And everybody, including myself, started to be affected and change their strategy and start to be more relevant to what people want, which is a more affordable, a loungy wear kind of uh, trend. But the corona made me realize I really killed a collection and I started everything from scratch. And I said, I started this for the love of dressing up and I will keep on doing it. Even if what I'm going to introduce is going to be so irrelevant to the market. I'm sure there are people that I started addressing from the very first collection. They are still there and they would feel me and they would hear me and they would want to wear those pieces that are irrelevant to what's happening now. So my answer is I don't do commercial fashion. I do pieces that people would want to wear no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situation is. Even if they are depressed, they would just wear it to change their mood. So you really kind of uh, have this... uh... You, you you go against the, the kind of the, the flow of the majority and much of what you do. I mean, everything that you've talked about today is you marching to the beat of your own drum, um, which kind of explains why your brand really stands out. It's one of the reasons. There are others which we'll get to. But so has COVID-19 changed the way you do business other than you said you went back to your original, you kind of not catering to this kind of uh, lifestyle where people don't dress up. This is your vision and you're sticking to it. What about in the way you're releasing your collections um, and and the way that you do business? Yes. Um, It was very interesting because when this all started with the COVID and uh, again, you know that Kipa, my husband, is my business partner. So we had a lot of time to talk about things at home. And it was a bit relieving at the beginning. It was like, oh, my God, we need to slow down. It has been too fast. It has been like a collection after another. And I was so happy, especially that I'm the designer, I'm the creative director, I'm a business owner. So it was a lot on my plate. So I felt like, you know what? Nobody's expecting anything from me at this moment. Let me chill. Two weeks later, everybody's starting to feel the pressure. It's like, okay, this will end at the point. What are we going to offer? And then... I felt the pressure that I have to be relevant 
And before Corona, I was asked a lot to be more inclusive. And this is what I was working on and I wasn't so happy about. But I had to follow the trend. And then it's Corona. So I have to design loungewear. And then a month of my life, I was just so pressured. And I wouldn't, I will not lie. I was really gonna go ahead with being super commercial, still with the Mrs. Kippa DNA and everything, but stuff that wouldn't challenge me as a creative director. And then spending time with myself and looking in the mirror a lot and asking myself, why am I doing all of this? I'm so tired already. And now with uh, all the challenges that brands and bridge designers are suffering, it's not, we're not going to be millionaires from, from a brand uh, overnight. So I discovered that, again, I did all of that because I love uh, to create and I love to challenge myself and I, I love the flow of fabrics. So Corona changed me in a way where it took me back to who I am. It took me back to why I started all of this. The way I'm going to approach this collection, you're going to see a Mrs. Kippa collection more than ever, very irrelevant to a lot of people, but super relevant to who I am, even more than the first collection. Luckily, I now have I have two shops and I have the e-commerce and I have the studio. I have more channel, channels to, uh, to meet people, to uh, express, to go myself, to meet with clients. And I discovered that there are a lot of people out there that are really willing to, to see something that is different and people are afraid and people don't want to, they just don't want to go out of their comfort zone, you know? And I believe Corona has changed so many people in the sense that people feel they don't have the time or the at any point anything can happen to all of us and people want to really go all out and just explore different stuff. So I think it's the time. As business owners, we took a decision that we're going to be all in from an investment point of view. This collection is the biggest. Usually I introduce 30 pieces. I'm introducing 55 pieces. I did three campaigns instead of two. I had two studio campaigns and one editorial. I upgraded the website. Uh, as I just said, uh, I had only one shop. Now we took the second shop. So we're going we're going all out and about. And uh, it's either, uh, as we say, I, I, like I'm putting all in and whatever the result is, if it doesn't pay off, then uh, I cannot keep on doing this, you know? Yeah, well... I'm betting that it will. Um, you have kind of a niche of product that uh, that doesn't really rhyme with all the other, you know, retail products that, that are kind of failing. And I see what you're saying with this sense of like uh, urgency to kind of live your life because you never know when it's going to be, you know, when the world is going to end. And, and this can get people to kind of take more risks, including myself, with fashion. Nadia, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't like P2PR or socialize. And when this Corona thing happened and I felt that I was obliged to to really stay in my bubble for, for the longest period, I was like, I took life so much for granted. No, I want to go out. I've always dressed up, even I'm staying at home, but I really want to go out. I want to see people. So I believe if I say that, then people that are ready into living their life out loud they would feel that they want to do this even more. Well, certainly you're going all in and investing in a new shop uh, is a maverick and bold approach. Um, maybe this explains uh, some of the answer to my next question. I interviewed you back when you first started in 2016. I don't know if you remember. You were just starting with the, the first collection and it was pretty small. You called it 70s-inspired Parisian chic. Um, and I fell in love with it at first sight. I remember I discovered it online and I... 
I immediately thought that, you know, you needed to be, you know, to get as much exposure as possible. But how much have you grown since then in terms of employees, sales? I know you have, you know, these these new points of sale now. How how much have you grown as a brand? When I started, when we first had the, the interview back at the time, it was an atelier in Egypt with two employees and myself. And then I came back to Dubai. I did my first workshop where it was only one person because, you know, it's triple the, the, the amount here in Dubai. I actually outsourced before I go into having one pattern maker and tailor. I outsourced. It was very challenging for me to be able to quality control or to follow the normal fashion process because my designs are very spontaneous. Till the very last second, I'm changing. And I don't sketch and then I produce and I do prototype where I can brief a factory. No, I get the fabric. I put it on a mannequin. I drape it or even on myself. I keep on playing with the fabric till I feel I'm getting a nice flow. So it's impossible for my brain cells or for my process of creating to outsource. So I was like, okay, that's not working. My husband is like, you have to make it work, but it's not working. A three months of never ending argument till he really understood that I'm not able to create. So we had to take a small atelier. I remember at Media City, I had one tailor and then, okay, but one tailor is not enough. <laughs> and I started, I had, I was very demanding because to be very honest, I wasn't experienced enough in the sense of I'm, I'm not fashion educated. It was, it's just very, um, I would say I, I'm born with it, you know, it's just like I have a style and I have ideas, but I don't know the technical part of things. And it really cost us a lot of money because of this lack of education. So um, for six months, trial and error, trial and error till I decided I'm going to learn the pattern making. I, I learned all aspects. I took this one year uh, workshop at Ismod. And we got it right at the end. So the answer would be we started from two people and now we are 12. I have, uh, in the workshop itself, I have six tailors and I have two pattern makers. And I have um, and we, uh, the finance guy and the marketing coordinator and quality control manager and myself. Okay, so definitely you've come a long way. Clearly, besides the obvious, which is that you ha offer something that's really unique and really unlike anything else on the market, so um, so, so personal, like from your perspective, it doesn't it has nothing to do with trends, as you said, and yet it still feels so current. But what do you think it is that you've done that's helped you grow in these last four years in terms of your approach, your system, the system that you use on a day to day basis? What is your secret? From an offering, from a product perspective, I straight to myself and any design that I didn't feel I would wear, I would kill it. I have um, a suit in the office that I promise you not a single Emirati would enter the studio and not ask about it. And this suit didn't see the air because I never felt that I, I would wear it or I would appreciate it on someone. But from a commercial perspective, it would have made a lot of sense. And this is the challenge of the exercise I'm doing now is to reach a place where I can be more commercially accepted and I can cater to a bigger audience. And at the same time, I would feel satisfied about the product. But what I've done is that I stay true to myself. Hence, I was able to serve the pool of clientele that I have because I never disappointed them because they relate to me hence, and they relate to my product. And they were always happy from a collection to the other. Having um, access to, to meet with clients 
made me, I don't want to talk about myself in the sense, but I'm a genuine person and you would feel the energy when you see me. So people that see me on Instagram think otherwise. And there is a love-hate relationship with my brand. They would like the piece, but they would feel they don't want to buy it because I'm, I'm so linked to the brand. So having now a room to meet with clientele, it made me really grow the base of clientele that we have. I do a one-on-one appointments in, in the shop. It helped me a lot. So having this personalized service and exchanging good energies with people helped the sales a lot. How difficult is it to become a respected fashion brand in the Middle East? I know you're doing great in Dubai, but are there good channels that connect creative talents from the different countries in the region so that you can scale up and sell in other markets like you would in Europe Actually, or the our, US? Our sales is not happening from Dubai. It's not the number one. Uh, and this is why we took the decision that we want to open shops because we needed more exposure here, funny enough. So my number one sales is happening from Lebanon, Egypt and the US. Hmm. I had no idea. Yes, and Saudi Arabia later it came as a fourth market. And Dubai, we really had a problem and we weren't sure, is it the product offering or is it the exposure? Or And it was a mix of both because Nakhil Mall, and it's so funny that each retail point would get you a totally different kind of clientele with a totally different kind of SQ sales, SQ as in product sales. Mm-hmm. So Nakhil Mall is, for example, a lot of Eastern Europeans, a lot of um, uh, MENA region uh, clientele. When the Galleria, the second shop is Emiratis and a lot of uh, locals, and the SQs that wouldn't sell at all in one point at, in one shop would sell a lot in the other shop. So this is why our decision to put all in is that I have I have trust in what I offer, not because it's the best source, but because it's real. And I've always told Basil. We're going to reach a place where we're going to sell. Don't worry. The first two collections didn't sell well. And I've always had belief. And I never got where it's like, where do you get this confidence from? It's like, because I know what I'm offering has a niche clientele that would appreciate it. It's not that they are not, they are just not seeing it. Whom are we exposed? Whom are we fooling? Who are our followers on Instagram? Think about it. 90% are people that aren't, they wouldn't even understand our lifestyles. It's just mass people coming from everywhere around the world. And they are, they don't have budgets to buy anything. So you cannot build your assessment or evaluate a business model or anything based on how many person converted on Instagram from the post you put. And by the way, this is why I don't believe in influencers. <laughs> that, so, that's that's really fascinating, though, because you did start out start out as an influencer. You have 180k followers now. I don't know how many you had when you started, but certainly to a to the the observer, it would have looked that you translated this following into customers. But you're saying that no, those people that you have on Instagram are a certain you know, group of people and, and your clientele is a whole other one. So, and nobody, yeah, well, that's, that's interesting. And it's something that makes a lot of sense that people don't necessarily realize, even you probably didn't realize until, as you said, you started going through the process. Um, but we should explain uh, the name of the brand as well. It's kind of a, you know, a nice story. So Mrs. Keepa, I'm not sure yeah, everyone husband. knows. Yeah, was Kipa was your husband's nickname when he used to play yeah. football in the streets of Beirut as a kid, right? 100%. He was a goalkeeper and they used to call him like an Yakipa, Yakipa, you know, <laughs> and he's the only person that believed in my talent. And um, 
I used to work in the corporate world and I was in a very good place. And everybody was like, you're crazy. No, what you're doing is wrong. It's recession. Nobody leaves a 12-year media career to just follow a stupid uh, dream. There are zillions of designers out there. Retail is doing bad. Everybody, like I heard every single possible word that can put you down. And he is the only person who told me, I'm all in with you. I believe in you. Not a single place we go to. People compliment what you're wearing. I don't understand what you're wearing, I have to say. And when you ask me, do I look good or not? I'm, most of the time, I'm afraid to tell you, I don't understand your outfit. But I'm sure people are seeing something in you. And it, because people do comment on what you're wearing. So you must be offering something. And that's funny because Bessie really doesn't understand my style. <laughs> yeah, but it's... <laughs> It's it's almost like a language that nobody else speaks, but it sounds beautiful. You know, that's how I would describe your style. Nadia, I love what you just said, because this is exactly what makes me believe in what I'm doing. It's a language that only a few people understand. And it's not about it's not few. It's it's people everywhere. Like you understand my language. There are other people in, in wherever I go that do. And we speak to each other. Like when we look at each other, like I do appreciate what you're wearing. And this is my target. This is my clientele. They are, there are not lots of them. But if I reach each country with, I don't want to be in big department stores. I don't care about this, uh, the American dream of a brand, you know, which is I want to be in Harvey. I want to be in Bloomingdale. No, I don't care about that. I want to reach people that would really understand my piece and would put it in, in a good way. And I struggled a lot, by the way, from this mentality because I get a lot of offerings to dress people, to have my pieces out there, to get influencers. And I always say, no, 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 no. I never accept PR offerings. I never. And thank God I'm one of the people I'm lucky enough to have always those agencies do approach me without having to go to them because they see something different and would look nicely uh, on the editorial uh, level. And I always say, no, it's like, no, I wouldn't like my piece on this person. No, she wouldn't understand it. No, I don't. Because I love my pieces and each one of them is a baby of mine. And I want the person that wears it. I want her to impress me on how she interprets, she interpreted it differently than the way I did. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I, I need to chill. Like who would you want, who, <laughs> ultimately, like who would you like to see wearing Mrs. Keeper? Um, Iris. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Uh, that would be amazing. It would be amazing, right? Yeah. That doesn't that tell a lot that because the brand gets a lot of comments that it's not for everybody and it's not definitely it's for only 16 to 30 people maximum. Of course not. Now that you and I imagine Iris wearing it. So that's exactly my point. It's for just like few people that will get it no matter what their age is and no matter uh, what the body looks like. I have a lot of pieces that would really cater to a lot of body types, but it needs to be that person that knows how to put the piece. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Even if you're skinny and you buy my piece and you wear it wrong, you're going to look bad. You're That's where like style comes in versus fashion. 100%. But a lot of brands, uh, this is a bit of a different topic. A lot of brands have responded to the Black Lives Matter movement by including black models in their campaigns, making public statements, you know, about... The, the movement and and social justice do you as a designer feel responsible and as an influencer for representing certain social values or taking a stand on things like black black lives matter do you feel responsible and and has it changed the way like your campaigns and and what you're planning to do in the future not at all i've always used black models and it was never part of a trend i've always been sustainable and i've never talked about it 
I'm the kind of person in my personal life, I wouldn't brag about what I do. It's either on me, like we all have some flaws in our character and we have our strength and we have, so I've always used fabrics and collections and reuse them because I believe in timeless fashion. So if you follow me from the beginning, you would see that Etoile Amoureuse, I use this fabric in the third collection as well. My linings are the fabric I've used from first collection. I never threw fabrics. So I've always followed this approach and you would not see a single article of me talking about sustainability or taking part of a trend. Is it wrong? It's wrong from a marketing perspective. Yes, because apparently this works. Again, for black models, my second lookbook, which was three years ago, it was only one model and a black model. Every single lookbook of Mrs. Keeper since I started, it has a black model. So I don't feel responsible to talk about it. It just... Either it comes organically and I believe in it and I act upon it. I would never make my values part of any marketing plan or I'm not that person. You don't see me on social media doing IGTV, speaking about me being a mother and how I raise my kids. You wouldn't see me talking about uh, preaching someone for doing. It's not my personality, so I'm not going to use it in my business as well. Do you think that there's some aspect in some cases um, with these other brands that are suddenly like, you know, latching onto this that that including more diversity do you think some brands and some companies are using it as a marketing of course, scheme and i get offended every time i see a campaign that is looking so imposed i feel offended especially when the brands that have never used black models before and all of a sudden oh look we have a black person we have an asian person it's there it's it's kind of pandering to the current mood and you feel like there's a lack of so authenticity fake. behind it's it. So yeah. This is what I love about, about, about what, this this is the, is what the you're thing telling me. I was going to fall in when I was going to introduce, I've always had baggy pants, but I've never positioned them as loungewear. I've always had those oversized, like the army one, the camouflage. I've had it two collections ago, but in a different color. But me falling into the trap of, oh my God, I have to do loungewear and I have, I understand that at the end of the day, there is business and there is commercial aspects of everything. But I thank God for COVID that just gave me this slap and I woke up from this trap. It seems like your strategy is to stand out from the fray. And as this whole commercial uh, you know, market is kind of collapsing, the only way to survive, really, which actually is what you're doing, is to either, you know, be in a hold, me, Nadia, holding I pattern. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, but, all but, what I but that makes sense. Is, all what I thought about is that I want to enjoy my life. And how am I going to enjoy my life? I will keep on doing what I love to do, which is designing and creating. So it wasn't part of a business plan. It was part of me enjoying my life till the very last day because Corona made me realize we can, at any point, everything can stop. We can stop traveling. We can stop a lot of stuff. So I decided that I want to enjoy my life. I'm not going to see people that I don't like. I'm not going to do something that I don't love. And work is part of it because it represents almost 70% of my time daily. Yeah. So if I'm not going to love what I'm doing, then definitely my life will not make sense. How do you describe this uh, collection? You're dropping a new collection called Champ de Liberté. It seems like you're embracing the, your French side lately. Um, but how do you describe the collection? <laughs> You've talked about how it's 55 pieces. It's larger than your usual 30-piece collection uh, collections. And it's as flamboyant and exuberant as anything or more than you've ever done before. Um, but what, how, what, what's the spirit of it? 
Okay, so chant de liberté, because that's my status. I feel liberated from a lot of things. I feel liberated from the materialistic aspect of life. I feel liberated from the social pressure. I feel liberated from a lot of constraints that recently only I felt was imposed on me. I was never that person that had to think a million times before they do any step. So I felt so liberated and which gave me a lot of inspiration during the last two weeks of Corona. By the way, 50% of the collection was created two weeks just post-dependent, like midway, like two weeks before they opened the lockdown. It was a last minute. The reason it's a big collection is that I said, okay, if I want to stay true to myself, if I want to keep doing what I'm doing, I need to be, I need to work harder. Meaning I know how to style pieces, but a lot of my clientele are interested to wear a piece of the flavor of the brand, but they don't, they don't know how to wear it. I need to do more effort for that. And the, here is the, commer- if I say I did something commercial, this is what I did. I did the styling of the pieces, meaning I know how to buy a, a, a mom's jeans and how to style it in hundred ways. You know what I mean? But people that want to buy this piece, they would, they would feel stuck because they like it, but they don't know how to wear it. Oh, it only looks good on Mariam. Oh, how did she put it on? So I did shop by look. So I had to introduce the white t-shirt. I had to introduce, of course, a white t-shirt that is so Mrs. Kipa with very oversized and very wide shoulder pads. But I'm offering a full look. I'm not offering a product where I just leave people in the middle of nowhere saying, okay, uh, here it is, suit yourself or wait for me to put a post on how to wear it. I did the lookbook. I did the collection that has technicalities as well. So if you're buying a skirt, you can turn the skirt into a top. I spent a lot of time to think all, all the stuff I do in my, clo- uh, in my dressing room of just getting uh, Basil's uh, belt and uh, making his uh, big suit that look good on me, I did them in my designs, you know? I would do a, a pin in a place where it helps you to make it from an oversized T-shirt to a fitted T-shirt. I made it four inch longer so you can wear it as a dress. So this is the time, the, the, like, I matured up as a designer to say, okay, if I want to keep on offering my product and have more people understand it, then let me help them. Well, well done. Um, the, the What I've seen in the collection is is really stunning, beautiful. Your pieces are kind of almost like collector pieces, like timeless that, that you'd have, you know, forever. And I'm sure that if Iris got her, you know, got, was lucky enough to see them, she would definitely become a client you know of what? yours. I'm going to send her. You I'm going to send her. Now she can be your influencer. <laughs> you inspired me. Yeah. So, I like her. She's true to herself and herself she doesn't care about what people think of her to her like that and that age kind of like you (laughs) so it's been great having you today take care and best of luck thanks nadia i had such a good time today i hope you did too check out mrs kipa online and on instagram and check us out too bye